Oh, thank you. Morning, everyone. <laughs> isn't it lovely to sing together? Oh, it's so good, isn't it? So good. It's great to be here with you today, whether you're listening online or whether you're in the building. I'm very excited to be here with you. Now, most of the time when I come and speak, it's normally uh, within the context of speaking to people who are not yet Christians and we're kind of, you know, encouraging them to think about faith and make a decision. Well, today, because the nature of of how I'm feeling and I'm going to be chatting predominantly uh, to those of us who are Christians and just to encourage us, encourage us a little bit, encourage us, encourage us. That's not looking good, is it? Maybe we need to get Jason back. Who knew that encourage had four syllables in it, eh? Who knew that? So uh, I want to encourage us this morning. That's plan A. So um, I came across um, this um, uh, piece of stuff years ago. And uh, as you know, I like funny stories and things that make me smile. Anybody like things that make them smile or laugh? Yes, some of us don't like laughing, clearly. That's fine. That's not a problem. Um, So this is actual homework that was set to gauge how well children were or potentially weren't learning. Okay? That's that's what it is. So so these are actual questions. I love the answers, me, personally. I'd give them points for the answers, even though it's not what they were looking for. Do you know what I mean? So, what is the difference between six and eight? Eight, this is the answer. Eight is all curly and six is not. How good an answer is that? It's brilliant, isn't it? Love that answer. I think that should definitely get full marks, that one. Question. So, here are some vegetables I love to eat. So, that was the, the, the statement that was set for them. And one child said, chicken. Cereal, waffles, who thinks they should be on the vegetable list anyway? <laughs> Donuts, Donuts should definitely be on the five a day, shouldn't they? Imagine having five of those, what, what's that famous donut place? Lee, you'll know. Who? Uh, Krispy Kreme's told you he'd know, didn't he? <laughs> he was right on the front of his tongue as well. He didn't have to go searching. That'd be great, wouldn't it? And, <laughs> this is a chicken cereal, waffles, donuts, and stuff off the floor. <laughs> there, that definitely is a wow, isn't it, right? Yeah, it matters as long as it, is it the 30 second rule? That's the thing, isn't it? Okay, so here was the task that was set. Use the strategy that you have learned to answer this question. Tony buys one dozen roses and half of them are red. How many of the roses are not red? Answer, half a dozen of them are not red. Well, that's true, isn't it? That's totally true. And then, love this one. What ended in 1896? 1895. I love that, don't you? That is a quality answer. He's very accurate, to be fair. <laughs> have, you, have you ever... My friend used to always say this. It was like his favourite phrase. If ever he learnt something, um, or he taught or said something to like me and I learnt it, this would be his standard response. Every day is a school day. Have you ever said that to yourself? 
Every day is a school day. And do you know what I think? What a great attitude for living, especially as a Christian. I hope that you've not stopped learning as a Christian. Because if you've not stopped learning, if you've stopped learning, you've actually stopped growing. I hope that you continue to find yourself saying sorry to God a lot. Not because you're a dirty, rotten sinner, stop that, but just because you've made a few mistakes. Why? Because you've learned something new. And that's what Sundays are about, isn't it, really? That's what discipleship is, isn't it? That's what connect groups and small groups and meeting with your mates. It's all about learning, being constantly in a place where we may not be set actual home group, although we may be set it, but it's not that we're kind of set home group, but it's just that we're always seeing every Every day is a school day. Every week is a school week. Every month is a school month. And every year is a school year. And every decade is a school decade. I think I'm making the point without stretching that analogy. We may have pushed it to its elastic limit already. But I really hope, and listen, I'm not saying that I'm always in that place. But it is my general ethos and practice in life that whatever I think I've got my head around with God, I want him to stop my head having got my head around it. Because I think if we ever come to the place where we think we've sorted it all, then that makes God very small. Now that was a rhyme and I didn't intend it. I'm a poet and I didn't know it. Shall we leave it there? All right, Lee, thank you. Supposed to support us fellow preachers, not publicly humiliate us. Just because I mentioned the Krispy Kremes, all right. But, <laughs> but it is that I don't ever want to be in the place. And, and I tell you what, I have learned some stuff in the last 18 months, haven't you? I've learned some stuff about me. And I've, I've had some stuff about me kind of confirmed. Things, suspicions that I had about what I was like as a person that in, in these crazy moments has been confirmed. Yeah, that is what I'm like. But I've learned some stuff about me in this season that I've not been keen on. If I'm honest, now I know you, you, you know me well, you thought I was perfect, right? Lee, do not answer that, okay? <laughs> but I have, I've learned something, I'm going, I really thought I'd already dealt with some of that stuff. Please tell me it's not just me who arrives at these moments in life where things that you thought you'd sorted, you realise that maybe you haven't quite sorted. And, and I think, I think the reason that is, is because sometimes we deal with things and we think, great, that's sorted. And we might have these battles and these fights and these intense moments of activity and prayer. And we get some breakthrough and then we stop focusing on them. And we might, we might focus on something else. We might not. We might just say, great, I've got that one done. But actually what we end up doing is these things without us realising can just start to grow again. So I want, I want to keep learning. And, and, and I've learned a few things, not only about myself. So I've learned, this probably will come as no surprise to you. I've learned that I am definitely an extrovert. Yeah, I know, I know, I have. I've learned that. And I, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I've, I've struggled by not being around people. That's where I get my energy from. I'm energized. 
to be honest with you, when Jason texted me last night and said, is there any way you can fill in for me? I thought, there's no decision for me to make here. Like, I'm desperate to be out and about worshipping and singing with God's people. Like, I'd have come even if they'd have found a different preacher, to be honest with you. So, so I, I've learned and had things confirmed. But I think I've learned a few things about the world. And I think I've learned a few things about how we need to engage with our world as we, as we increasingly come out of lockdown and not and in, actually in terms of how we've been as well but in terms of how we're increasingly coming out of lockdown and I want to just throw some of these little bits out to you have a little look about what the Bible might say into these and then just give us a few moments to just reflect and think through those as we kind of get, get towards the end of this talk so the first thing the first kind of truth and if for those of you who take notes and like titles this is the title Lock in, not lock down. Lock in, not lock down. So some truth that I think God wants us to lock in to our lives this morning uh, when we may be feeling a bit locked down. So number one, opportunity, not opportunistic. Opportunity, not opportunistic. There's a difference between seeing opportunity and being opportunistic. I read this great story. I don't know whether it's true or not, but it made me smile. It says, a mother was convinced that her wayward son would, 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 um, would, would, would stop being a Christian or not become a Christian. And so she missed no opportunity to tell him that one day he would come to faith. She pleaded with him to mend his ways, to see the light. Any pushy mums out there that are like this with your kids that don't know Jesus? It's not easy to get right. She sent him little cards with Bible verses on, spiritual books. You can tell when this was written. Tapes of powerful sermons. If you don't know what tapes are, Google it. You might find an image in there somewhere. I'm not sure. They might not even be on Google images. It's that long since. Let's go for MP3s, all right? Um, and then she sent him sermons all to no avail and she got so frustrated. Like she never ever missed an opportunity to tell him about God. One night she went to bed and she had a dream. In the dream she fell on her knees and prayed to God fervently that God would remove the obstacle to her son's conversion. In the dream there was a blinding flash and she vanished. Isn't that interesting? You see, I know people that nag people into becoming a Christian. They put a whole new slant, go into all the world and nag them. It's not what it says. Not even in the message does it put it that way. If, if it doesn't put it like that in the message, we're, we're, we're in a mess, aren't we? So, <laughs> she was the, the obstacle praying for the obstacle to be removed. She was removed because actually she was putting her son off, not warming him towards. Hey, listen, here's a thought. Do your family and friends know that you are a Christian and how good an impact is that? So yeah, they might know you're Christian, but does the way you or I live our life encourage them to consider or encourage them to reject? It's a challenge, isn't it? You see, so often we're looking not at the opportunity, but we're opportunistic looking for every conceivable moment to, to grab an opportunity, sometimes grabbing opportunities that aren't even there. 
We just kind of railroad in with our, as we used to say back in the day, with our size 10 boots or our obnail boots. But let's be as much moved with compassion and understanding as we are with excitement and action. Let's be as much moved with compassion and understanding as we are with excitement and action. Undeniably, church, we have an amazing opportunity in the world right now. We have never, certainly not in my life, in the 25 years that I've been around. You're starting to make your own jokes up now. In the 51, all right, I'll be honest, all right. If you start laughing when I say 51, that really will upset me, all right. But in my lifetime, I, I can't think, or, 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 or I really can't think of, of a, a, a situation, a circumstance in our world, or even in the UK, let alone the world, where we've had these incredible opportunities. We are in the middle of an existential global crisis and people are thinking about God. Why? Because they're thinking about life. For those of you who don't know what the word existential is, I, sometimes I'm aware that us preachers can just throw words out that some people will know and some people don't. The word existential means that we've arrived at a place where people are thinking, what is it really all about? That's basically what it means. And it's not that we've suddenly had this turn to God so we can start crying out revival. What's happened is people have lost things. The things that they built their life upon, the things that they depended upon, the things that they interacted with, the things that filled their life, lots of those things have gone. And whenever people lose what they built their life upon, they realize that their life is built upon something that isn't substantial. And so they start to begin to think, what is it really all about? And within that context, they begin to think about God and begin to think about the bigger issues. And that's where we are right now. It is really exciting, but let's be intelligent in our mission. It's really fantastic. Like, I am experiencing incredible opportunity to share my faith on a one-on-one with my friends. They're asking the same questions, but in a different way, and they're listening to the answers. There is an incredible opportunity out there, but let's be compassionate. Let's lock that truth in. Psalm 40, verse 3 says this, that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I think it's really interesting, this sentence. Some of you will have heard me use a language called big yes, little yes, healthy maybe, that enables people to kind of recognize where they are on that journey of faith and, and make a decision, make a choice based upon that. Big yes is about people becoming Christians, saying yes to God. Little yes is about people making an intentional decision to find out more healthy maybe is about people willing to become open-minded about God and the Christian faith. And I think this verse is a great verse that many will see. That's the healthy maybe. We've got lots of people seeing, tuning in to, to our services online. It might be that you're one of those people right now. You're watching this service online. You're not a Christian necessarily. You, you may be someone who used to be a Christian and you're just rethinking about it. It might be that you've never gone to church before, but you're watching online. And I want to encourage you to, to become at least open-minded about this Christian faith and to remain there. Little yes is about making those intentional decisions, as I mentioned. So he says that many will see and fear. Why do people fear? Because they perceive something to be true, 
when they didn't necessarily know that it was? How do you perceive when you start to look into and investigate and begin to find out more about the Christian faith that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord? That's the big yes that I mentioned. I, um, I've enjoyed lots of conversations with my friends and um, I've, I've written a book. This is my latest book. It's only been published a, a few, um, about six weeks ago, actually. It, it's actually, uh, it's not for Christians particularly. It's for people who aren't Christians. And it's for those healthy, maybe, people. It's really nice, by the way. I spent a lot of money on this. Just holding the cover is a beautiful thing. Okay, if you'd like to experience that for yourself, www.redmarkgreenwood.com. I would let you feel it at the end, but COVID restrictions permit me, okay? <laughs> I have to anti-backs the cover and it's probably going to ruin the whole impact. But I want to encourage you to see that there is an opportunity out there, but let's be caring, let's be understanding and intelligent in our mission. And I'd love to encourage you to, to buy this book, read it yourself, and give it away to somebody. It's aimed at healthy maybe. It's not a massive gospel preach. It's aimed at challenging atheists to acknowledge that there may be a God. And it's aimed at challenging those who've said no to Christianity they're out there really looking into it to begin to think, well, maybe I'm rejecting something and I don't really know what it is that I'm rejecting. So you can get those on my website, revmarkgreenwood.com. But I think we need to be intelligent in the opportunity. Let's look in that truth. However you're going to do that, that's a simple way. Having something to give, then you can discuss it off the back of it. So it's, it's a really useful tool. Let me say um, uh, the second thing, and I, I, I want to be disciplined this morning with time and stick to the half hour, 35 minutes that Jason gave me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be disciplined and, and fly through. Um, second thing, I, th- I think we need, to, why do we need to be intelligent in our mission? Because the seed of the gospel has been sown in the soil of suffering. The seed of the gospel has been And actually will continue to be for a long, long time sown in the soil of suffering. But here's the interesting thing. It's a shared experience. Have you had conversations with people that have gone through suffering and you feel you just, you can't empathize with them or you can't put yourself. And what's that great phrase I came across? We're, We're all in the same storm we're just in different boats. It's quite helpful that, isn't it? Quite a helpful picture that we're all affected by this, but some people's ride is gonna be a bit more choppy than others. But as we sow the seed of the gospel, let's understand it's sown in the soil of suffering. Now, I've got, like many people, into amateur gardening during lockdown. Desperate things cause desperate measures, don't they? And I've had to film my time. I mean, it's, I've, it's worn off now, you'll be pleased to know. But I, I got properly into it. I did not know that when it comes to planting things, certain soils will take certain plants. I know now, because I've killed a lot during the process. You know what I mean? I've done, I've done my Google research and gone, oh, right. So I thought you could just put the same amount of water on everything. Apparently not, say my withered plants. 
Because some water for them is enough, some water for them is... I mean, it's very complicated. I didn't start this gardening to have to think. It's a nightmare. So anyway, I've gone off it. But what I have understood in that time is that the soil is critical to how a plant does or doesn't grow, how my raspberries do or predominantly haven't grown. Okay, the soil is so critical. I never knew just how important the condition on the type of soil is when you want to grow something. Some stuff will not grow in certain types of soil. Some stuff will grow in certain types of soil. Who knew? And quite frankly, who cares? But, you know, I mean, I did at the time because I was a bit depressed, to be honest with you, about the whole sorry situation. But I hadn't quite realised. And so when I realised that, it put a slightly different complexion on the parable of the sower. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time reading the passage because you've got a phone and a Bible. You can look at it yourself. For reference sake, Mark chapter 4 verses 1 to 8, if you, those who are familiar with the Bible want to root that out and have a little look. But, I, but let me just give you a quick headline, because you know the story, many of you who are church people anyway. It tells us that some of the seed fell along, along the path, some of the seed fell on rocky places, some of the seed fell among thorns, and still other seed fell on good soil. And we know that that which fell on good soil was the stuff that produced the harvest. And we often take out of that, or let's make sure we sow into good soil. Correct, absolutely must. But we're in danger of conflicting with what the title of the parable is. And as far as I can see, this is the only parable where Jesus actually calls it after its name, when he says, let me explain the parable of the sower to you. So it's not the parable of the seed or the parable of the harvest It's the parable of the sower. So for me, the spotlight must go on the actions of the sower, not the outcome and the harvest. That's for me as a a preacher. And so I noticed that, I started thinking about it, he he randomly throws the seed out like the Swedish chef in the Muppet show. Okay, just just kind of throwing it around. And that which fell on the good soil, we know, produces the harvest but come with me to the three other types of soil very very briefly because interestingly in all three of the others there was soil and therefore there was potential for the seed to be planted and to produce the harvest so what stopped it well in one instance it was the fact that it was hardened ground Now, if you go into a country mansion in your holidays and you walk around formalised gardens, you'll walk on these paths that are called hogging. And it's just like it's got sand in it and soil in it, and over time it's become really hard, hard as concrete, actually. And that's the kind of ground, this hard ground, just it had been trodden on. It had been walked on. Walked on. You know, like when you go into a woods and you see a path where it's just, nobody decided it necessarily. It's just people have walked on that for a long, long time. It's become hard and like concrete. You fall on that, you're going to bust your head. The rain's going to run off it. So this hardened soil, the soil that had been walked over. Folks, there's a lot of people out there who've been walked over. Their hearts have become hard. Their hearts have become hard. Rocky places, boulders in it, Stubborn. I'm having an extension done. There's been some massive boulders. We've had to get the digger in to dig them out because you can't move them. They're stubborn. 
And you're never going to plant anything in there until you get rid of these stubborn boulders, these rocks. So there's potential, but the rocks, the stubborn, you've got the hard, the stubborn, and then some fell amongst thorns, prickly. Have you ever shared your faith with people and they're prickly? Okay, and the soil beneath the prickles, you just, you just can't get to it. And it's, it's kind of ruining anything that might grow up in, with it. I'm not going to say too much more about those because I want to land my talk in the next few minutes. But suffice it to say, the condition of the soil is critical. And I think we need to understand that as we come out of restrictions, indeed as we've been in restrictions, there's a lot of people suffering right now. I don't know what type of soil you might call them, whether it's boulders, hardened or prickly. Or, or even potentially good soil. Um, but what I do want to say, there's a soil there. And we need to just be aware as we're sharing with people that, and I, I honestly think, and I'm, I'm sure many of you would agree with me, I honestly think as we come out of restrictions, increasingly, I think we'll become more aware of the suffering that people have been through and are going through. So the seed of the gospel has been and is being sown in the soil of suffering. Let me just land this with my final point. I think it's critical that we build a link and not just share one. You know, like rightly so in churches we've been saying, send a link out to people, send a link out to your friends. And it's, it's good. It's good, it's right, it's proper. I'm not saying we don't do that. But if I was to draw a physical parallel to the digital point, it would be a little bit like just throwing leaflets out around the place, around the geography of the church or around your friends without having any meaningful relationship. And we would say that's not wise, wouldn't we? What we would say is let's build a relationship in our community and the physical people around us and then invite them to an event. We would all... I think all probably agree with that. And so it's true in the digital world. And I think we've just been a little bit guilty of carte blanche here, bit of a general sweeping statement, but I think there's a lot of truth in it. Just, you know, come to this, come to this, come to this without spending real quality time with people online as well as in person. Um, I was reading a a report uh, a number of months ago now from a a BBC News expert, and she was commenting on, do you remember when Dominic Cummings, and I'm not here to make a political statement, I'm using it as an illustration, when Dominic Cummings, when he was the chief advisor to to the PM, took a trip up the northeast, and and of, of course, there was right outcry about that. And the concern from this lady called Nicola was said, it's an established social norm that when people don't know what to do in in exceptional circumstances, they take their lead from what others are doing. What a great opportunity, ladies and gentlemen. Because we might not know what we're doing, but we know somebody who does know what he's doing, right? We know that old, that old spiritual preacher that once said, I'm, I might not know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. We, we kind of can know what we're doing. We, we, might, we might be a little bit unsure, but we're a little bit more sure than the rest of the world. And I think as we build a link and don't just send one and live in a way that shows that we're not frightened. Yes, we'll have concerns. Yes, we'll have worries. We've all got those. I've come in today and I've stayed back there and I'll be 
going out straight out. Not because I don't love you. You know I love you to bits at this church, but because I'm just being sensible. I'm not being fearful. I'm being sensible because I don't want to pass anything on and I don't want to get anything. So let's live wisely. Let's live wisely amongst the people. Let's build relationship. Just a quick reference to the Bible and then we're going to... Um, we're going to land this and just give a few moments to respond. It's Luke 19, verses 1 to 7. It's the story of Zacchaeus. I'm not reading it. I'm not preaching on it. I just want to mention two phrases that jump out. One that jumped out at me many, many years ago, and one that jumped out at me just a couple of weeks ago. It says in that passage that when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked up. I love that phrase. Because Jesus always reached the spot. Jesus does reach the spot, whether it's physical, emotionally, spiritual. Always reaches the spot. So Jesus is walking along and he's seen Zacchaeus as he's reached the spot where Zacchaeus was. And he stops and he pauses. What happens is significant. It's not just a fleeting conversation. It's not just a quick link. But he builds some relationship. He goes, Zacchaeus, come down. I must come to your house for tea. So we've got this moment. We've reached this moment. I see where you are. And I'm so committed to you, Zacchaeus. I'm not going to leave it as it is. We've got to go further. We've got to develop this relationship. You've got to understand a little bit more about me. I want to, I want to be in your family. I want to be in your life. I must come to your house for tea. Now, if I say that, it doesn't quite carry the significance of this context because when a rabbi said, I must come to your house for tea, it meant that that rabbi was saying, I'm coming to let you know that I accept you to be part of my community. That's what a rabbi would do. So I've got to come because I'm accepting you and I want to build relationally with you. Ladies and gentlemen, it's still about relationship. We've lost a bit of that. We've been able to keep a little bit of it in the digital world. And let's not walk away from that. Let's not stop building relationships in that digital world. But let's make sure we full on build relationships in the physical world. Things to lock in in lockdown. Number one, opportunity, not opportunistic. Number two, the seed of the gospel has been sown and is being sown in the soil of suffering. And number three, build a link. Don't just send one. Let's be committed to relationship. I wonder whether we might just pause for a few moments. Uh, I wonder whether you might just say to God, whether you're in the room or um, watching online, whether you might just have a little reflect over that and just respond to God in your own way at your own point and offer your own prayer to God saying God this is what really resonated with me or connected with me this morning so yeah Lord help us to lock in these really valuable lessons to be stirred with compassion and not just excitement about opportunities. Let us not be afraid to take them, but let us understand 
the context, the suffering that people are going in, but help us to build relationally and live differently so that people, yeah, see how we are responding and living in this pandemic. And maybe they might want to follow us as we follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been great to be with you this morning, unplanned, but God knew. And let me encourage you just to buy something that you can give away to your friends. God bless. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.